Welcome to the Makom Israel Teachers Lounge podcast, where we connect students and listeners with Israel by discussing and exploring current events and relevant issues. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, here, as always, with co-host Alan Goldman. How are you, Alan? Doing well, Mike. Okay, and we have a very special guest on an emergency, I guess, or a urgent podcast episode because of all the rockets coming in from the south. We wanted to create an update, so we have a perfect guest to discuss that issue. Alan, please introduce our guest. Well, this is pretty much the easiest uh, guest to introduce because it's uh, I have the the privilege to introduce my son, Ellie Goldman, who was uh, is a sergeant in the Israeli uh, army, the IDF. Who uh, he finished his regular service this past summer, and is now a, a sar- sergeant in reserves in the Givati um, in the Givati Brigade, which is a um, an infantry. infantry brigade. And uh, of course, he's uh, now living at home as he's uh, getting used to civilian life again. But about a year ago at this time, he was spending uh, his time on the Gaza border as a sergeant in the infantry um, protecting the border there when uh, there were a number of different flare-ups. So we thought uh, it would be interesting to get an insight of what what are soldiers going through now and uh, what it looks like. Yeah, we'll, we'll put links to previous episodes about what it's yeah. like to be under fire, but this is a soldier's From the civilian side, right? Yeah, and yeah. we'll also catch you up in this episode on the actual news of what's going on exactly. specifically, give you a broader insight. But Ellie, how does it feel, first of all, to not be on the front when this is going on? Well, it's uh, it's interesting. It's a sort of a different um, experience, not being in the army, actually just watching it on the news and not getting all the updates. But it's sort of a relaxing uh, change. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it's, it's. I could say it for our whole family is a different, uh, uh-huh. relaxing state. I believe, yeah, well, I believe that. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> but does it, it? But it feels strange, right? You're not used to being on this end of it anymore. Right. It's a, it's a, it's different, but. Um, you still, you still sort of have the mentality of remembering what it was like. It wasn't that too long ago that I was there, and um, you know. But it, as I said before, it's it's nice not being uh, not being on the front line, but being at home and watching it on the news. Do you have friends still there, or your whole group already served out their, ter- um, their uh, well, tour? Well, all my friends pretty much are no longer on the Gaza border. Um, I still have a couple friends that are still in the army. But they're not on the border. They're either training or in uh, in the gush in Gush Etzion. Mm-hmm. Or you, we have a cousin who's on the off- officer uh, on the border, or married to your cousin. <laughs> yes. So, so, so Alan, uh, can you can you give us yeah. some background? Why is there suddenly a flare up now? What is the precipitating incident, and what's been happening over yeah. the last twenty four hours? So basically, what happened is um, when we're recording this uh, on Tuesday evening. Tuesday evening, right when it started this morning. So November. This morning, November 11th. 12th. 12th. Oh, 12th. 12th. There 12th. you go. Better. <laughs> Good thing you came. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, All right, but, we're done. That was it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I woke up this morning and around 5.30, looked at my phone and saw, you know, a huge list of uh, Y News updates on my phone. So I realized something must have happened. Yeah. And as I started looking at it, I saw that Israel... Um, had did a what's called a targeted assassination of the highest ranking um, officer in the uh, Islamic Jihad forces in Gaza Strip. Islamic Jihad is not in control of the Gaza Strip. Hamas is, but Islamic Jihad is considered a more radical 
um, smaller group that is backed by Iran directly. You know, we have, um, we always find it interesting that our yeah. students think of Palestinians as one chunk, but of exactly. course, like any other group of, with millions of people, they have sub subgroups. So exactly, subgroups. We, we think of, so then we think, oh, like West Bank is Palestinian Authority, Gaza is Hamas, but there are other parties yeah. in Gaza. And, and sometimes their agendas match up and sometimes they don't. Yeah, that's what makes, um, so the, and, and so, Okay, I'm going to get his name wrong, but it's Baha Abu Al Atta. Yeah, worked in the he worked in the mili- he led the he military in, branch. He's the highest ranking the commander. Al-Quds who's in the Gaza Strip. Brigade. Yeah, his commander who's of in the Islamic Jihad. Islamic Jihad. His commander who is in the uh, is in Damascus. There was also an attempted uh, assassination of him last night. Israel's not taking responsibility for it. He did not get killed tonight. His son did. So it's, it's those two things going on at the same time. So uh, Israel, as I looked at my phone this morning, says Israel is getting ready you know, for the response from Islamic Jihad. And sure enough, within 10, 15 minutes, rockets were falling. So around 6 o'clock this morning, maybe a little bit before, rockets started falling and they've been falling all day as far north as Tel Aviv area, mm-hmm. which is called Gushdan or yeah, the Dan region. Modi'in, which is even a and little... And Modi'in, right, to the, which is a little to, to, the, to east. the east. and north, yeah. Um, and uh, schools were shut down and work that people didn't have proper uh, security uh, rooms from basically Gaza, from down from Beersheba all the way up to Tel Aviv and, mm-hmm. and that Gushdan area. Um, and the news is that saying at this point they're, they've just declared for the next two days anybody within an 80-kilometer range of, of Gaza to be under special conditions, which means, you know, depending on all kinds of things, like you can't have uh, um, a certain amount of people in the same thing, like depending where you are, 100, 300, 500. Lots of weddings have been canceled, people that's uh, going on the news just for, you know, the human side I don't know the how story, they're keeping the know. airport open. They always keep the airport open, even in Suketan the airport yeah. keep open because they have they, it's they... very because it's very secured because they have the Suk, they they make sure the Kipat Barzel is there and they're, Iron Dome. they're not so the Iron Dome right and they're not so they're 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 not so precision they don't have a lot of precision um, they should kind of shoot them wildly and hopefully they'll hit something so sure. they figure if they shoot enough they'll hit something and they do occasionally well since 2014 this isn't the highest concentration of rockets but this is the right. furthest distance since 2014 Correct. and these far far ones are not just the regular right. you know homemade mortars that they shoot over the border these are real rockets that are that right. whether they're good at using them or not or whether they're super precision or not but yeah, these are more precision. professional right. yeah these they are, go further yeah but they, they go, go further, further but they're also they're bigger yeah. Bigger, and they go further. Uh, I think the the highest concentration was when Ellie was still on the on the border there last summer. Mm-hmm. It was like five hundred in a day in twenty four hour period today. And this is the crazy reality we're under. In that today we're talking whatever now probably up to about a hundred. Somewhere about this afternoon we were to about seventy. But here we are. We wake up and we don't have snow days. You know we kind of laugh about that. We've rocket days. Mm-hmm. Um, my my daughter said this morning, "Oh, it's cloudy with the chance of rockets today." You mm-hmm. know, um, there's a lot of gallows humor that exactly. goes on. Exactly, and uh, and it's a it's a really crazy reality. It's also the first day um, of Naftali Bennett's uh, yes. tenure as defense minister. <laughs> so, really, welcome to the club, which is a whole another subject we won't get yeah, into. Not but, for today, uh, not today. But uh, so Israel's uh, really bracing down, but it's trying to keep the it's trying to keep the the concentration of the conflict with Islamic Jihad and not Hamas. Israel is making very clear uh, statements to Hamas that it will not hit Hamas 
um, targets for if Hamas does not get involved. Even though even though Israel sees Hamas as the control of Gaza Strip, they understood when they did this target assassination that Islamic Jihad would respond. And so Israel's trying to keep it from getting f- uh, further uh, downsliding. Well, the I'm analysis saying, I'm seeing from uh, yeah. journalists is as accurate as that is. I don't yeah. know, but the now the 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 journalists seem to be saying that Hamas actually does want things quieter. Israel taking out the head of Islamic Jihad means that they're going to shoot a bunch of rockets today, but that will make Islamic Jihad weaker. Right. Hamas, if they take action against Islamic Jihad, it weakens them because the Palestinians in Gaza don't like to see infighting. Right. They, that would look like Hamas taking Israel's side. But the truth is this helps Hamas keep things quiet, which is in Israel's interest. Right. And so, and then you have the other side of the analyst saying that Hamas has to be, you know, they're not sure that because if they stay on the side and then they look like they're working with Israel, that's right. also bad. So, right. uh, that's why they have to wait to see how things are going to develop in the next couple of days. But in essence, but at I- least like the Hamas is the kingpin here. Like they'll decide right. how this is going to go. If it's going to be something much more intensive or we're going to have a couple of days of rockets. But in a crazy then, Middle East, yeah. make strange bedfellows, Israel is helping Hamas yeah, exactly. take out a political enemy. Crazy, right? That's yeah. what I say. Agendas crisscross here in this thing. And then it comes down to the particular. That, and then this is affecting people's real lives. Of course, we said schools and work and all that. It makes a no, million kids didn't go to school today. It makes no difference if you're one of those people what's going on behind the exactly. scenes. What matters is there's rockets falling and your life is suspended. Right. And for kids, it's right. it's traumatic. And and then, all of course, those all those soldiers who are on the border and their families who are worried. Right now, we're not in that, in that situation. But a year ago, we were in that situation. We're okay. Our son is on that border. What does that mean? You know. So what does so, that mean? So um, let's go back to getting ready for the jihad response or getting ready for the response. So when you're on the border, you have two two things that could happen with the rockets. Either it's a response to Israeli um, to like an assassination or something, something that we did, and we know about that and we know to prepare for that. Or it comes out of the blue, and that we don't really know to prepare for. So if we know it's something that we're going to do, and they're going to be, re- and they're going to retaliate, um, so we go to something called konenutsfiga, which in English is um, sort of bracing for impact. Um, you brace for impact. Anyone who's not on duty um, moves about ten minutes before the strike into um, into the shelters, into these uh, sort mm-hmm. of concrete boxes. It's not as nice as uh, shelters <laughs> in the house. <laughs> This the shelter we're sitting in now. Um, no, it's basically just a concrete box that's um, blocked off from almost every entrance. Uh, you get everyone who's not on duty in there. Make sure everyone's in there. If you're on duty, so how many how many people were you talking about would be in like? Uh, but it, around fifty, give or take. But it's probably like yeah. a like a like the King David Lounge at the airport with massage <laughs> chairs and free drinks, right? Yeah, definitely. You have someone yeah. going around giving out, yeah. uh, you know. Complimentary, yeah. Complimentary cocktail <laughs> peanuts. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's it gets a it's not very big. Fifty people in there, it gets pretty hot, especially when you're talking about the humidity of uh, the Gaza border. Um, and if you're on duty, though, then you either go into an armored vehicle. You're not allowed to get out of the armored vehicles. Not you know, stay in helmets on, helmets on. Make sure your um, vests, your protection, your kirami. Is uh, on tight. Ceramic. Uh, your ceramic. Ceramic. Your, yeah. Body armor. Your body armor is on. It's on right. Uh, everything's sitting right. Um, if you're in a, like a tank or something or a rekem, like an RP, uh, APG. APC. APC. Sorry. An APC. Yeah. If you're in an APC. So Armored you cl- personnel carrier. Yes. Yeah, yeah. so you close all the hatches. 
Um, I had a couple friends and soldiers stuck in one of those in one of the in one of the rounds. They they were in there for about um, eight nine hours without even opening the hatches. Wow! It got very hot and really stinky. <laughs> um, so yeah, when they came back to base, we wouldn't get close to them until they showered twice. But <laughs> see, that's so, good advertising <laughs> opportunity for deodorant <laughs> companies. <laughs> Wow, you guys smell great, even though you've been stuck in an APC for 24 hours. Yeah, yeah. so. And then what happened, and of course now you're talking about the rockets, but there, there are other things called mortars, right, that you don't have sirens for. Right, so the mortars, um, usually they come with the rockets. They shoot them at the same, the same time, the volleys of them. There are um, warning systems. They're just not as accurate and not as precise. Uh, they don't also always give you the... The, fir- the right indication, meaning between volleys, you could hear the first mortar hit before the siren goes off. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not exactly a siren. It's more just uh, it's uh, people in the chamal, in the war room, just um, announcing that something's happening and to take cover. So, And it's fast. I mean, a mortar is not a long distance. So. No, well, mortars are very, very fast. You... You hear it within three or four seconds. Yeah, your first instinct, you hit the ground. And then you sort of, after you hit the ground, you sort of um, quickly get into the shelter. You have to make sure, as a sergeant, my, you know, my job in the shelters was to make sure that all my soldiers were there, which isn't always the easiest thing because sometimes, you know, someone's by the dining room and they run into a different shelter. So you have to go find them. Or they're, you know, walking around base talking on the phone. Mm-hmm. You have to go figure out where they are. We had a soldier once who was on his way home um, when something when it all started, and we needed to sort of figure out: was he in a shelter somewhere? Is he? Did he get on the bus? Did he leave the area? Or where was he? Are we going to let him go on the bus? Are we going to get make him come back to base? Are the buses even running? Can we send him home? Right. Where was he? He was in. Uh, he was right outside of Kibbutz Saad. There's a traffic circle there where basically the pretty much the closest bus to where we were. That's where it came to. Um, so he was waiting for the bus. It was like probably around 10 o'clock at night when it all started. Did you take him back in? or? Well, this decision was that someone would need to drive out for four kilometers to get him and bring him back, um, meaning they would be exposed, he would be exposed, whereas the buses were still running. So he just got on the bus and left the area. Mm. Right. So that was the... That's crazy, like so, the amount of yeah. decisions. Yes. Do you for have one, one soldier. Yeah. Do you have time to feel scared or you're so busy taking care of things that you're just in like operation mode? No, no, no time to be scared. Sometimes you come home later after like two weeks of being on the border, three weeks, you come home and it hits you like, whoa. Um, But you don't really Then what happens? Then you're like, whoa, that was sort of scary. (laughs) And, you you know, next thing you know, you're back on the border. So you don't have to. You didn't really have that much time to. Yes, mom, for more better food. That's, Uh you know. (laughs) Exactly. No, but doesn't that doesn't that build up that kind of tension? Doesn't that build up inside you? Like, it's got to get out somehow, no? Well, the thing is, you're only on the border for four months at a time. Oh, so. is that all? <laughs> no, it's not like you're... Felt a lot longer. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like you're there your whole service. So you're only there for four months. So you rotate out and you have time to sort of adjust. You do training. I was moved on to a training base to train new recruits after my time in Gaza. Yeah, but after four months of being <laughs> on the border, doesn't that build enough tension that you have to 
Like, how do you how do you process it out? Like, just I think I think you, you just, just go, joke about it. You you take it, you accept it as it is. You say, okay, that that's what it is. That's what happened, and let's move on. Because I rotated onto a training base, um, so a lot of my experience I was able to use and process in a way to train other soldiers. So it was, I think, an, an easier way, at least for me, to process it um, that way. Because it's a little bit as a dis- you, it's more mental. You've you've made it a little bit more distant. I guess, yeah. You, well, you sort of like you have to think about it um, rationally because you need to process it in a way where you can interpret it to action. So it sort of uh, absorbs better. No. Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say we're not, we're not gonna let your mom listen to this. Uh, <laughs> this so you, you can talk freely. So what what was the what was the closest you came to, um, you know, rocket fire falling or a mortar falling or a mortar falling? The closest mortar that fell um, was probably um, about ten fifteen meters away from the, away from the shelter we were in. Um, we were actually I wasn't in the shelter at the time. I had just gone out. Um, to the war room to see what was going on. It fell on the other side of the shelter, so it was between me and the, the shelter was between me and the mortar that fell. But That's it was good. about yeah, yeah. It was <laughs> about ten fifteen meters away. Uh, thank it's like God, thirty feet. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't know feet, um, but yeah. So thank God, uh, no one was hurt. Um, none of my soldiers were hurt from mortars when we were there. Um, we took precautions. We did drills. We made sure of that. But when when some of the times those things happen, the only big enough safe uh, place to sleep was the was half of the dining hall on base. So we had two nights where we were moved into the dining hall um, to sleep. The whole base that's about about two hundred plus soldiers any given time that needed to sleep that weren't on duty. And why half? Because only half had the co- had the cement covering to yeah, protect them? Exactly. Well the whole the whole entrance area where the buffet of the food the buffet of food, yeah. yeah. Where the food was served <laughs> um, was uh, where the smorgasbord was for exactly. the army. Yeah. Yeah. It's still army food. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but that that wasn't sheltered and where you sat to eat was sheltered. So you need to sort of cram everyone in there, get like you know, a couple minutes of sleep as much as you could, and before you went back on duty. Now, I I know it, it doesn't exactly apply to this situation now of rockets falling, but since we have you here, I know that the that the attendance at the protests at the Gaza border has diminished. It's now only a few thousand people, I think. It's not, but they were bringing when you were there. What was that like when thousands of Gazans came to the border and? I mean, I'm putting protests in air quotes because some of it got pretty violent. Yeah, it got, it got very violent, actually. Um, last summer, when we were there, it was about averaging around 8,000 people just in our plugas. Um, What's a pluga? Pluga is, uh, is not uh, a unit. Uh, it's a no, battalion. Bigger, a battalion. Uh, our giza, so our, the, our, our area, area of responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're averaging around 8,000 from people there every every Friday, it got it got very intense. You'd have a huge variety of people there, of anywhere between um, Hamas mechablim who terrorists. terrorists who come and try to throw grenades on the soldiers, and families that came with kids. You have like three year old, four year old kids running around about two hundred meters from the border. 
uh, from the fence and sort of distinguishing between all that. It ta- it takes a lot of a- out of you. It takes a lot of effort. A lot of uh, so it's like focus. What, two football fields, two hundred meters. Yeah, maybe I don't know. I mean, you can see them. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. With you your can, plain eye. You don't yeah. need. Yeah. You, you can You have a plain eye. Um, we did use binoculars every so often, but most of the time we didn't need it. Um, you basically during those protests, or as you put them in air quotes, protests. Um, you'd have snipers on the on the fence waiting Israeli snipers Israeli snipers are snipers waiting to say to hopefully take out any terrorist coming over and being precise enough so you don't hurt any civilians that aren't there so who would they ha- who would they be given permission to shoot at the sniper um theoretically someone who was um, considered a valid threat yeah, what's that? Meaning someone who's over the age of 18, according to your judgment, right. um, and doing something that seems criminal, like um, about to throw a Molotov cocktail or a grenade, um, trying to cut the wire on, up to the fence. They'd come, they'd light, uh, they'd light tires, they'd burn them, and the smoke would get so thick, you couldn't really see them, and slowly, slowly... Take them about two, three hours, but they'd make it all the way up to the fence. They'd make it all the way up to the fence, and they'd try to cut the fence and get and get over to our side. Right. What if someone uh, was throwing a rock? Like it was clear they were throwing a rock. Would would they be a sniper? Be allowed to shoot at them? Um, we didn't really have any rocks thrown at us. Right. Um, around Gaza, there's not too many rocks. It's right. all sand. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's more. So basically, if someone's throwing something, it's going to be something like a Molotov cocktail or a grenade or something that's. Uh, yep. Uh, towards the weapon. end of the summer, towards the end of the summer, we had a couple weeks where they brought in a lot of grenades, about between two hundred and five hundred grenades. Where they, did they get them? They either manufacture them like in their basements, or they smuggle them in through Egypt, um, all different kinds of ways. Wow. They try to smuggle them in, and thank you, Iran. Exactly, yeah. and they throw them at the forces on the border, which is also pretty scary. Getting a couple of grenades thrown at you every sure. week. Um, yeah. How yeah. close do they get with the grenades? They don't usually get too close with the grenades. Um, there was one week where it was really bad. They got they got very close with the grenades. Um, we sort of have uh, sand sand dunes that were artificially built for our protection um, that you sort of hide behind, but they got right up to that that line of protection. So that's, that's like, what, like 5, 10 meters? Yeah, something like that, about 5 meters away. Yeah. but Closer so, than the rocket, the yeah. corner. <laughs> yes. So that that was actually a time where you're like, even at the moment, you're like, whoa, that whoa. was really close. Yeah. That was, so. Well, it's disorienting, isn't it? It's not just, you know, it's such a... What kind of, I mean, they're fragmentation grenades there. What are they? Well, they're not really fragmentation grenades because they're like these improvised things that they made up. Uh-huh. So half of them don't even blow up. Half right. of them don't really, you know, you can't really know what it's going to do. Right. So our grenades in the army, we know pretty much what they're going to do because they're all manufactured the same way. And they're pretty much just they're standard. standard, standard, exactly. Standard grenades. Um, whereas theirs are improvised. So they just throw them at you and hope for the best. And you hope for the best that they don't hit. Right. What do you think? That, I, I'm asking you a question that you can't really answer. But what do you think is going on in their heads when they're running 
into the range of, of Israeli snipers to throw things at Israeli soldiers? I don't know. It's, it's, hard. it's hard to understand. It's hard to comprehend. It seems a bit odd. I, I don't think I would run it towards live fire um, just when I know there's no chance. But, but they must be a committed enemy, right? Like, I, I, like the people who brought their kids, I don't think were in... I, I, don't, I mean, that seems like a strange parenting decision, but I don't think they, I don't think they thought they were bringing their kids under sniper fire. I don't know if they they uh, they knew they w- there was going to be sniper fire. Um, by the end of the summer, it was pretty clear that there's going to be sniper fire there. I think they were bringing their kids. Um, they used their kids as shields. They used um, they used their kids uh, to hide behind them. So they bring their kids so the so the terrorists can get closer to the fence because they know we're not going to shoot at kids and we're not going to shoot at elderly and we're not going to shoot at people that aren't really doing anything and just standing there like what we call an innocent bystander. Um, so they they use that to their advantage. It's very right. culturally different. It's very hard for like Western people from Europe or America, let's say, to to put yourself into that mindset of, it just seems so strange to us. Yeah, I'm, for sure. Yeah. So going back to that rushing defense then, so, I mean, you're on patrol every day pretty much for four months, um, more or less. How, how often would people... C- Try and get over, get through the fence to come into Israel during that period. Like you were on patrol, how many times on patrol? Like um, every patrol, would you get someone, or like once a week, or? It depends on the times. Um, I'd say for most of the time there, pretty much on an average every day, you had um, people trying to rush the fence. Um, wow, they weren't. It's 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 a very complicated um, sort of thing to say they were rushing the fence. It's basically kids around 10, 12 years old who run up to the barbed wire. They cut, they just sort of cut away at the barbed wire and pull it away. Um, and slowly, slowly, the, the more they get, um, the easier it is to get closer to the fence. Um, so, yeah, they, they just sort of, I don't think they're even trying to cross over. They're just trying to make life difficult. And they're trying to make sure, uh, they're trying to wear down the soldiers that are on uh, duty there. That's when we, when we were there that summer, that's basically what Hamas said was their was their goal is to wear down the soldiers there. They even opened up a new unit that started um, uh, protests in air quotes at night. Mm-hmm. So you didn't even get your nights uh, quiet. So you know they just sort of they just crawl up towards the fence. We shoot a couple um, bullets, uh, oh, bullets flares. or flares. Flares up, you know, just to show them that we know that they're there. Mm-hmm. They'd run back, come back in an hour, and basically make sure that we're always occupied on the fence. And and tear gas wasn't super effective because there were just too many people. It was too big an area, or are they just? Well, tear gas um, because they were lighting tires on fire, so yeah. there was more Ex- smoke than. Well, there's yeah. a lot of smoke from the tires. The tear gas you can't really shoot too far. Uh-huh. Um, we stay a fifty. We stay a, a safe distance from the fence, also. Um, as I said, we had those uh, artificial, sand, artificial dunes. sand dunes that we hid behind or used it for our protection. And they, they also didn't get as close. We tried to keep them as far away from the fence as possible. So it wasn't as effective. And the wind is coming from the sea, from Gaza, uh. towards us. <laughs> so a lot of time, the tear gas is, uh, we shoot the tear gas or your commander shoots the tear gas, your officer shoots the tear gas, and you end up eating all the tear gas mm-hmm. yourself and sort of feel? choking on it. Yeah. 
That's not great. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 effective, but not if you're determined enough, it it won't right. it won't uh, deter you because yeah. you know we we got a lot of tear gas. We knew we had to be there. We didn't have a choice. So well, you, you know, have to train to resist tear gas. No, don't you? You train when when the tear gas flies the, at you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when it's on the job, on the job training. Yeah. Now, how much do you interact with the communities in times like this when there's the barrage of rockets, or you're just on your base, and there's other people whose responsibility is to interf- interface with the communities that live there? Uh, most mostly, we didn't um, interact at all during these things. We stayed on the border, making sure no one crosses over, nothing happens. Um, there are people stationed there are soldiers stationed on these bases on the sorry on the the communities in the communities on the in the Yishuvim, um that are a little bit more interactive with them but uh me there, personally there are soldiers have, who were assigned to keep in the communities so that people on the com- communities kept safe and kept morale high oh well, yeah sort of um a kitat konenot a an emergency unit an emergency to emergency response unit on because they were so because they're so close to the border. So if God forbid something happens, there is an immediate response in the like community. say someone gets through the fence. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, God forbid one of these terrorists gets through the fence, and so there's immediate response there so that they can uh, take out the terrorist. Hopefully, before they would. Right. So, so you, you didn't get to feel that they had you know the, that feeling of like uh, that they you know, the because we've spoken yeah. to people who have so much appreciation for. Everybody obviously appreciates what the soldiers do, but if you live in that Gaza envelope, if you're in one of those communities, they have endless gratitude. Um, yeah, we, again, we didn't have too much interaction. We're the first line of defense. Um, whoever has the interaction is more the second line of defense. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, on our way home or sometimes when we were outside of the base, people would stop. They'd thank you. You'd get on the bus and you'd have... Um, People there thanking you a lot, like oh, thank you so much for protecting us and everything. So that that also helps you get through it. You like, you get to the train station and everyone's so so thankful. You're like okay, this is you know it's worth another three weeks here on yeah. base, um, not coming home. Now it's real. It's not just what your commanders told you. you. See real people that you really. I mean, you're literally just keeping them safe. Like yeah. you're saving thousands and thousands of lives. Well, also, I would say all of Israel. I mean, you see the yeah. rockets are going all the way to Tel Aviv and. And yeah. beyond, so yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, we talk about the news very casually, yeah. and we make our jokes, but all of this is on the backs of eighteen to twenty-one year olds who, you know, who are yeah. just holding the line. Yeah, and again, of course, Israel's so small, and of course, it's a it's a obligatory service that yep. it, it includes also their sphere, their friends who think about them, their family, their right. Um, so it's really uh, uh, it, it, everything is the home front. Yeah, there is no, you know. This is all home front. So, yeah. yeah. So it's a, it's a, I, I, it's just, not. Uh, got more rockets in the. Yeah, they keep going off. I, I was thinking of leaving the volume on for the yeah. for the app, but I think it would be too disruptive for a podcast yeah, episode. Yeah. But it's still pretty constant now. Yeah, yeah. It's Tuesday evening, Tuesday night. Yeah. And they're still going, and it may yeah. be for another day or two. Yeah. That's what they're predicting. Exactly. And then hopefully that will usher in an era where Islamic Jihad is somewhat. Uh, weekend. Well, weekend. First of all, so also once they've shot all these rockets, so their 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 resources are going to be weakened right. for sure. That uh, right, and and hopefully, I don't yeah. know, it's weird, but hopefully Hamas will keep things quieter than without Islamic Jihad agitating as much as they usually do. I mean, this guy, which, which just shows us the the weird situation we so live weird. in when we talk about Hamas. Hopefully, Hamas. Yeah. yeah. 
No, but this Abu Alata guy is like trying to, he's just this provocateur who's saying, I don't care what anybody says. Yeah. Well, was. was, yeah. Thank God. Yeah, which is nice. <laughs> and it's amazing that the the hit in his house yeah. with almost no collateral damage. Right. Only his wife, I think, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Right. Him and his we, wife were killed. Yeah. But which no, is just nobody in the area. Who no. does that but yeah. Israel? Yeah. And who has a situation where, oh, you have a dispute? By, by the way, they've been, been planning this for weeks so that they would limit the, the you know, casualties. Well, you need to find the exact moment yeah. where there's as few people as possible yeah. around. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, what country in the world has thousands of rockets right. flying across its border like this? But by, by the way, we should probably just mention also within the pol- political situation that, that Benny Gantz, who's now trying to form the government, has... Um, supported uh, Absolutely. Uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu in this. Said they made the right decision. I, I, I also was briefed about everything. Yeah. He's not in the decision making right? because he's not, in the, he's not in that role. But because he's an important player now for trying to form the coalition, he was briefed before right. the mission and he, 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 he there's zero daylight between right. him and the government on this issue. Right. Remember, he was the defense minister for yeah. Netanyahu. I mean, the the chief, chief of staff, staff for Netanyahu for the military. During, during the uh, operation. 2014. Yeah. Yeah. So. Protective edge. So. He gets it. All right. Alrighty. Well, to better times. Ellie, thank you so much. Not only, obviously, for coming. I mean, I'm, gonna, I'm about to thank you for being on the podcast. <laughs> thank you for your com- contribution to the Jewish people of being on this podcast. But uh, obviously, it seems so silly to say thank you for your service because. No, but I don't think so either. I know, but it's too small. Like, what are you supposed to do? You can give him money. <laughs> I wish I, I wish I could. Okay, well, you're my boss. <laughs> give me a raise. I'll Get give right some. Check, to, I'll sh- yeah, I'll share some with Ellie. Uh, but thank you, Ellie, so much. Well, thank you guys for having me. It was uh, it was fun. It was great, and good to see you whole and hearty. Yeah, Boch Hashem. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Mike. And thank you, Ben, who's engineered us to the end of the episode, which this is. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Macomb Israel Teachers Lounge podcast. Don't forget to share, subscribe, rate, and review. Join us next time.